For those who don't know me, my name is Scott Hill. Um, I'm part of the teaching team here. And as I said last week, I'm, I was, I'm speaking again this week. Um, so it's quite nice in our, con- in our community. We have lots of different people speaking. Oh, thanks, Mark. I'll grab that there. Um, cheers. Good job. You didn't spill it as well. So good. I might, though. So anyway. Um, and yeah, look, so I'm one of the pre- pe- people on the teaching team. And as always, during the summertime, where the, the main man's away, a good few of us step in. So um, I think Rob is back around, but he'll be back next Sunday, um, our, our vicar and rector. We're still on Ephesians, um, a letter that St. Paul wrote, and uh, next week will be our last of, of the study in Ephesians that we're looking at. For those of you last week, sorry for being a bit repetitive, but just to give a bit of context again to the book of Ephesians, just very simply, in a very simplistic way, like a lot of Paul's letters, it's kind of two parts. One part is, this is, what, this is good beliefs, this is what you should know, and the second part, now it's an opportunity for you to act it out. So Ephesians has got amazing stuff about God's, God's love, this is how much God loves you. Part two, act out that love, this is what you should believe. Part two, behave link it together. And uh, last week I looked, we looked at the, what it meant to live a life of love. And the, the readings for this week, as well as in Ephesians, in the lecture readings, um, in Kings, it talks about Solomon and God saying, you can have everything you want, what would you like? And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And we also read the Psalm there, there's something about the wisdom of God in that too. So this week we'll be looking at what it means to live a life of wisdom. Because in some ways, I don't know, my, my job is as a social worker, and you can have all the love and compassion. Um, it can get you so far to help people, but you also do need wisdom as well. I think that's fair enough. You can, we know people that maybe are full of compassion and kindness, um, but don't have the foggiest clue of how to help you. And so I think we need, when we meet people with our both love and have wisdom, it's incredible. Jesus was that person as well, the, the, the exact ultimate example of someone who was full of grace, full of love, and full of truth. And so we'll be looking at what it means to live a life of wisdom today. So what is wisdom? It's very hard to sort of, I'll give you a few ideas of it, but the first maybe way of looking at what wisdom is, is when you meet a wise person. You know, they're not necessarily the one with most information or the most knowledge. It does help. Um, but the person doesn't necessarily have to have a PhD. Um, if you think about the people that you know in your life that are very wise, nor do they have to be the most sort of most pious. Um, some of the, the most pious people are, are quite frustrating, not someone that you'd go to. I suppose a wise person who I talk to would lead to would be someone who helps me, guides me to make decisions, guides me in the complexities of relationships, guides me in the choices, especially choices of consequence. And to be a wise person is being able to do that. One quote I read about wisdom is that it's becoming competent with regard to the complexities and realities of life. So wisdom, when you become wise, you're competent. You're able to engage with the realities and the complexities of life. So it's more than just facts or uh, fake facts or untruths. It's more than just wrong or right, it, although it, it, some meeting with you it is rational. It's also more than just moral decisions. Many of us who are trying to follow Jesus, a lot of decisions, we, we get the ones that are wrong or right, but it's about career decisions, relationship decisions. They're, neither, they're not moral decisions, they're kind of wise decisions that we need to wrestle with. And so, in some ways, 
this, this passage that in Ephesians that I'll read out now is, is, is all about this. So let, let me read it in chapter 5 uh, of Ephesians, verse uh, 15. So Paul says, I think it's up on the screen. Yes, great. Be very careful then how you should live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So before we get stuck in, let's just pray or give our sense a bit of, give our hearts just that bit of silence. Father God, in you we live, in you we move, in you we have our being. Pray for your spirit to speak to us afresh in our minds, in our bodies, in our emotions. Enliven our consciousness to be aware of you, to be aware of ourselves. May these words that I speak, may they be words from you and may they resonate with our hearts and our spirits to bring that truth that means something to us today on this Sunday. Amen. So, to live a life of wisdom. Three things I look at, I, I can find out. It's always three with me. You've probably gotten getting to the use of that. Um, three things I've seen here in what is wisdom. And what are the key kind of aspects of wisdom in this? The first one is purpose. So to be wise is to have right purpose. To be wise is to actually have purpose. To be wise is to have a sense of meaning, direction in one's life. And I think for many people or, or many of us uh, in society now, there's a kind of a, a, sense, of mean, a, a sense of meaningless. What's the purpose of things? What's, what's it all about really? But a wise person begins to recognize that there are purposes, there are meanings to align our lives to. And when we find that meaning and direction, even in small areas of life, it really gives focus to how we spend our time. I'm in the middle of my uh, a four-year master's, oh, believe it or not, as well as two young kids, as well as a full-time job. Um, but, but sort of having that small, having that meaning, having that purpose will, will dictate how I how I find time for that. So make the most of every opportunity. Um, you know, that's what Paul is saying here. So the first one, purpose, what it really is, is a wise person will seek the walk in the ways of Christ. We'll get a sense of purpose of what we should do. And this line here that, funny enough, I unconsciously left out, which is the key line, and thankfully, thankfully uh, Christina, who's doing PowerPoint, found it out this morning. But understand what the Lord's will is. I don't know for many of you who thought about that, am I in God's will? Some people can get quite caught up in that. If I eat Cocoa Bops or Rice Krispies, am I in the Lord's will? If I go to the half 10 service here, the 12 o'clock service, which one is in the Lord's will for my life? And the more we can get caught up in that, analysis leads to paralysis and wondering what to do there. My sense is that God is more, his will for our lives, he gives us a direction more like a compass point than a specific GPS coordinates. An example of this, I suppose, in my life as a father with two young kids is when my two girls are in the playground. 
They're in my will because they're in the playground, but whether they go on the swing or go on the slide or they play in the, the sandpit, well, that's a little bit against my will. I don't like sand. But overall, if they're in, they're in a broader will, if I was very rigid in what specific thing they do, how could they grow? How could they mature? So I think what's really helped for me, in the past, I sort of almost got to the point, maybe this is a, does God have a very specific GPS coordinates for my life? And if I can get them, great. But if I miss them, oh no, I'm out of God's will. And I can be very kind of scary. But I think like this, in a way, living in the Lord's will gives us great freedom because it's, it still gives us direction. So in some ways it has the perfect balance. Too much specificity will, will be rigid and inhibit our growth. And no direction at all will be just as bad. It'll be chaos. We don't know where we turn. But there is these things. For example, Scripture's full of this broadness that is up to us, gives us great freedom to apply it into our own lives. In Micah 6, it's a prophet in the Old Testament. He says, you know, and what does God's will for your life? What is it? You're like, great, great, great. It's going to tell me about my job, about who I should marry. It says this, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, it's not that specific. It can be hard for some people, but other people that can be great. It gives great freedom to that. But also, if you think about that verse, it's quite uh, challenging. That tension between just living and merciful living and to walk humbly with our God. Or Jesus says, you know, look, seek first the kingdom of God and, all, and his righteousness and all those little things of jobs and what you should wear and your money and your careers, they'll all come afterwards as you put the main thing, the main thing. Jesus didn't go around too specific, but he gave the compass direction. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor and love yourself. And even like Paul in some of his letters talks about this, I think in 1 Thessalonians about this is the Lord's will. You're like, great, what is it? It's like literally there, I think in one chapter, chapter one, I think. Um, it says this, to be sanctified. Oh, that's a bit, what does that mean? To be holy. So really the Lord's will for our lives is to become like him in, in whatever circumstances we find us. I remember when I was wondering whether I should marry Zoe. So I think I've told the story before. I got my little Seicento, it was one of my first cars, drove all the way down to Kerry, climbed Mount Brandon, and I said, oh, God's going to give me the yes or no for this. He didn't. I, all I got a sense was, as I'm praying in the stillness and the quiet, was a kind of a smile, I know that sounds strange from God, and a little kind of chuckle, and, you know, you know what you need to do here, you know, almost man up, I suppose. And, and that was probably it, because again, he wanted me to grow and mature. So a wise person will have purpose and direction and meaning. And what then, what, what, the best thing that what the Lord's will is, as you become like Christ, you will make the natural choices. Much better than being told, this is the 10 things you should do today. Dear, from, to Scott, from God, here's your 10 things. Other than, Scott, become more like me and you'll know what choices you need to make. So there's great freedom, and some people in certain Christian denominations get so rigid and stressed out, am I in Lord's will? Yes, make good decisions, make things that make sense to you and your career, but don't get too confused with it. Wherever you are, become more like Christ. So a wise person is given purpose and decision, but understand what the Lord's will is. Second thing is influence. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So to be wise is to be, in right, to be rightly influenced. I talk about this word, influence, because 
Too much wine influences us big time. And it's interesting reading this because for some of you who don't know me, I work in an addiction rehab service. So I see plenty of uh, people being drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. But more than that, not in those moments, but the, the kind of over time, the, the impact that, that alcohol addiction can have on people and their lives and their families' lives. But one of the things I learned about alcohol in a... Uh, what I learned about alcohol theoretically, let's just say, rather experimentally. Oh, no, yeah, that too as well. But what I learned was that alcohol is uh, actually pharmacologically a depressant. People were like, yeah, so what's good? Because I always thought, like, when someone drinks too much, debauchery, chaos, lack of control. But what actually, alcohol is a depressant which depresses those aspects of the brain that are self-controlled. So you, the alcohol takes the self-control away, and then we're all disinhibited. You know, alcohol is a depressant. Um, well, the spirit, which is also pneuma in Greek, which is breath, is a stimulant. So Paul is saying, are you going to be influenced by things that depress you, such as alcohol, which depress your self-control, which will uh, depress your ability to make good decisions, which if you keep going down the route of alcohol, for example, and other excessiveness, it will bring isolation, it will bring loneliness, it will bring a sense of meaningless, as you more and more it will deaden your real feelings, while the spirit, the breath, the pneuma, give stimulant to your mind. It'll give stimulant to your body and your emotions. The spirit of God in us, breathing in. The spirit will guide us in all truth. Some of that's difficult at times. I, when I work with people in alcohol addiction and they begin to come to and their mind begins to get clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer, they begin to feel tough feelings. They actually begin to realize the chaos and the difficulties of our lives and it's tough stuff. So then there's always the temptation for them to go back to alcohol to kind of get away from it all again. And so with, with the spirit, though, it sometimes will guide us into tough truths. It will convict the world of sin. It will, it will stir things up on us, but it will bring us into reality. It will stimulate us. It will bring that breath. So being filled with the spirit is a very practical thing. Sometimes in charismatic and Pentecostal expressions, it can feel like a bit of craziness going on, and that's all good as well, I'm up for that, but also being filled with the Spirit should be kind of the norm, we should be going every day in our lives filled with the Spirit, to be stimulated by Him, and in our minds, and our bodies, and our hearts for another day, to be the breath to come into us, and we can breathe out God's character, the fruit of the Spirit. But to be filled also means that we need to have, to be empty, to be filled as well, so the, so the idea is like, what are we filling our lives with that are stopping the Spirit to flow into our lives? What deadens us spiritually? Excess deadens us. Um, yeah, too much alcohol deadens us. And what enlivens us? So ask, seek it out to be filled with the Spirit because a wise person is rightly influenced. And finally, Paul talks about worship. To be wise, I'm going to put it to you, is to, be, to practice communal worship. Sometimes, well, I often would have a picture of a, and because of my introvert tendencies, that a wise person, someone that isolates themselves up on a mountain, and you have your pilgrimage, and you get your wise word of wisdom, and you go back down, and they're isolated, they're disconnected from the realities of life. But a wise person here is not that somebody. It's somebody that is in the mess of a community like this, no offense, in, in, in the kind of meeting with people who are different on a regular routine place. It says, speak to one another with psalms. I often say, speak to one another by just showing up. Someone's, you might be struggling one day and you just see that face. They're, they're, they're here. They're in church. You know, they're coming. I'm going to come too. 
A wise person seeks to worship God in community. And so this idea of like, we turn to one another when we come, when we sing out loud, when we hear scripture together, when we converse, it's this routine of coming regularly. And I think church and routine and commitment, a bit of predictability is kind of something that in our culture is not really the most attractive. But there's something about just staying put, staying in a community and blooming there the period of time that are there. And worship. You know, Solomon was told that, you know, he was given this, this idea of wisdom. And, and in Proverbs, he talks about the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And I think a better way of thinking about fear is worship. The awness, the, the awestruckness, the worship of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Why? Because when we worship, it rearranges things in our lives. It gives us sort of priority to our lives that actually God is number one. Not my children, not my wife, not my job, not how whether I'm successful, but God's number one. And having that security, that top thing, or even that rock, that foundation, so that when the storms of life come, because they will come, you have that sense of worship, that putting that foundations in place of God. The beginning of wisdom is having a foundation. So worship is life rearranging, and it's joyful, or it's wonder over the greatness of who God is and what he has done. But there's something about that, that a regular thing of doing that, and Paul talks about this very practically, of coming together, singing, interacting with one another, making music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to him. So all parts of us. I think sometimes I'm the same, I show up to church and I don't fully engage, but I know when I engage in my worship, whatever way that expression is, I know that something shifts, something rearranges, gives me fresh perspective in all these things. So all parts of us we bring. We bring our body. That's why, you know, some people lift their hands. Some people bow down. Some people close their eyes. There's something very powerful. Even neurologically, when we use physical expressions to what we think and what we feel and what our body reacts to, all that creates rewiring. It renews our mind. It's amazing how the body and the mind and the emotions are all connected. We bring all those parts to us. And the other part we bring is our social aspect to us. We're not just isolated, trying to figure out life. We come in vulnerability on a Sunday to worship with one another. So in summary, in Ephesians 5, to live a life of wisdom, a wise person will seek to walk with Christ. Walking with Christ, there's lots of freedom, but there is direction and meaning to it. It's to be filled with the Spirit, to be influenced by that Spirit, and to worship God in community. Let's pray. Father God, we again ask for that sense of your emphasis and direction on our minds now and on our emotions and our body. We ask that you speak to that, speak to us what we need to hear today. I pray for a sense of freedom today. That as we walk with you and as we commune with you, we are in your will. Pray for any sense of guilt or any sense of paralysis or just frustration of where life is at the moment. I pray by your spirit you would give them that comfort and that peace. That where we all are at this moment and this time is okay. 
I pray for all of us just afresh to be filled with your spirit, to be energized, to be stimulated afresh in all aspects of us. And help us not just to find the time, I don't think we can find them, but make the time to worship you in community and individually as well. In your name, Jesus, amen.